Ezra chapter 3 is our passage for this morning. Uh, <clears throat> and one of the good things about being in the auditorium again is we have our projector. So uh, <clears throat> we're going to uh, uh, be able to take advantage of that. Oh, and I do want to say this also. Uh, next week we will not be, uh, we have removed all the songbooks from the chairs um, uh, because of uh, it would be very difficult to wipe down every songbook between every service and, and do all that. So we just opted to remove the songbooks and we'll be projecting all the songs. Uh, so uh, anyway, yeah, and bring, and bring your Bible because we've taken all the Bibles out of the chairs as well. Uh, so yes, thank you. Uh, Ezra chapter 3. I was encouraged uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, by a, 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 a not, not a sermon, but I heard a I heard another pastor friend of mine give a give a quick challenge, and he used uh, Ezra chapter three as a as a launching point, if you would, uh, in in his in his little challenge, and it started me thinking, you know. So I went back and I and I read Ezra chapter three as I was contemplating and praying about restarting the church, and it caused me to rethink a few things. And I want to share with you some of the things God did in my heart uh, this morning uh, through Ezra chapter three. Um. The, one of the things that Ezra chapter 3, in light of what's been happening over the last several weeks and months, um, is it caused me to realize that I have taken church for granted for a lot of years. Uh, in June, which, let's see, tomorrow's June 1st, so June 23rd, I will have been saved 40 years. So basically, for 40 years, I've taken church for granted. I could always go to church. Uh, I would, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals, different things throughout the years. Uh, I, I've been able to just go to church basically whenever I've wanted to. I've had the, the ability to worship with my friends anytime I've wanted to, so to speak. Now, I've never been held back from corporate worship or being able to come together as a church family and sing praises to God. I've never had that restriction put on me. I've, I've, I've taken for granted everything that God had through the local church. As I read Ezra chapter 3, it impacted me in a different way than it ever has before. And I've read Ezra chapter 3 several times. But this time... It impacted me completely different 
In Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus, the king of Persia, decrees that the temple of the Jews in Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. Now, again, I, I don't want to go, this isn't a lesson on the temple so, so much uh, or what was going on at the time, um, but Cyrus, I think, had, had a spiritual epiphany or something, if you would, and he just felt the need to acknowledge the God of the Jews. So he, he orders Ezra and a bunch of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. In Ezra chapter 2, if you feel like it, if you read it, it is just a bunch of names about of all the people that went with Ezra back to Jerusalem. I think, if my memory serves me correct, it was roughly 2,000-ish people or so. Uh, it, I, again, I could be wrong. But anyway, my point is this. For 70 years, the Jews had been in exile. For 70 years. Now, as you read Ezra chapter 3, you, you realize that the majority of the people listed in Ezra chapter 2 were not born when the temple... Or, okay, the, the majority of people in Ezra chapter 2 were not alive when Israel went into exile. So the majority of the people in Ezra chapter 3 were 70 years or younger. Think about that for a second. The majority of the people in Ezra chapter 3 had never experienced corporate worship. They had never been able to go to the temple because the temple for the Jew is the center of, it was the place that God dwelled on earth. It was the central place of worship for the Jews. For 70 years, they did not understand corporate worship. They were in a foreign land. It was a lifetime, if you would. And many of the people in Ezra chapter 3 that returned for the construction of the temple had no idea what it was like to worship God at the temple. Now, in the New Testament, we don't have temples. We have churches. And God allowed through Cyrus, the king of Persia, he allowed the reconstruction of the temple or the, the call to corporate worship for the Jews for 70 years. Let's read Ezra chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 10. And when the buildings, or excuse me, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with uh, trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of 
Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praise and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. I love that. They sang praises to God. Why? Because he's good. He's good all the time. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had laid. The building had not been built. Just the foundation had been laid. And they were praising God because of His goodness. Verse 12, And many of the priests and the Levites and the chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, I, 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 I kind of bristle at the, the, the idea that they're called ancient men. <laughs> that, means, that means the 70-plus age group were ancient. I don't, I'm getting there pretty fast, so I don't... <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of it just kind of hit me. Ancient. Oh, all oh, that hurts. Anyway, uh, the ancient men they had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. Wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, and that the people could not discern the noise. <clears throat> okay, let, let me stop right here. When it says the people, what it's talking about is the, the, the people that were not there at the temple ceremony. The people, the unsaved people, the people surrounding Jerusalem, they heard this loud noise and they, they couldn't figure out what it was because most of the people were yelling and screaming for joy and, and then another large group of them were, were crying and, and it just this loud noise was coming out of Jerusalem. And, and, that, and uh, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of the joy uh, from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. What had happened? I, I, again, I, I, for 40 years, I've taken for granted the ability and the right to come to church whenever the church doors are open. Every time, I, I, just, I could just always come. And I could sit with my, my church families throughout the years and I could worship God together and sing praises together. But guess what? That's not been what we've been able to do over the last several weeks. We've been, we've been restricted. Why? Because of this virus that is plaguing many people in our community. But I believe it's time to get back together. And I'm excited. And, and, and I read this verse and I said, you know, for the first time, I get why they were so excited. You know, in, in the past, I've read this and I thought, okay, you know, no, that's cool. But now I understand. 
I want to shout and scream. Just with this small group this morning, I am so excited not to be stuck in my office talking to a cell phone. Yes. The only, the only bad thing, the only bad thing that I've heard about coming back to church was from my wife this morning. She says, I can't wear my slippers anymore to church. <laughs> and I, that's what I thought, go ahead, I don't care. I don't think anybody's going to care if you wear your slippers, you know. I think you're going to look a little silly, but, you know. I cannot imagine. If my, if my estimation is correct, and I think, I think I'm right, as of this week, we, we have been, quote-unquote, in exile for 11 weeks, if my, if my calculations are right, for 11 weeks. Now, many of you out there in Cyberland are already pulling up your calendars, probably like Chris is doing right now, counting, counting the weeks to verify if I'm right or not. Don't tell me if I'm wrong, please. Just, okay. March 15th, okay. So, anyway. I did the math for the Jews. 70 times 52 is 3,640. And in, in reality, we have nothing to complain about because they didn't have Facebook Live. They didn't have the Internet where they could still stay connected. They didn't have the technology and the, and the cell phones and the texting and the phone calls and all of the things that we have available today. When they worship God, they worship God by themselves. Period. And for the first time in 3,640 weeks, they were able to come together and worship God together. What a joy. At the beginning of all of this mess, I think it was, what would you say? March 15th. It was probably that Sunday. I said something to, the, to this effect. God is not sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, saying, oh, what am I going to do about COVID-19? God is not doing that today. This COVID-19 may have caught us off guard, but it has been on God. It, it was a blip on God's calendar uh, at the beginning of time. And God probably went, oh, it's finally here. You know, I, I, he, he's, he, this did not catch him off guard, but it did catch us off guard. I read something recently that helped me put all of this in perspective. And I wanted to share it with you uh, this morning. It's a guy named, uh, it's a pastor named Andrew Murray. I have no idea who this guy is. I just happened across this, and and it and, and it, it just again it just helped me put it in perspective. He wrote this. He said, first, he brought me here. It is by his will 
I am in this straight place. In that, in that fact, I will rejoice. Next, He will keep me here in His love and give me grace as His child. Then He will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons He intended me to learn and work in me the grace He meant to bestow. Last, in His good time, He can bring me out again how and when He knows. Thus, number one, I am here by God's appointment. Number two, I am in His keeping. Number three, I am under His training. And number four, I am here in His time. As I, as I process that, it helped me understand what we've been going through for the last 11 weeks. God, COVID-19 is not about the medical industry figuring out how to cure another disease. COVID-19 is about me learning how to trust him. And if when we put that in perspective and we understand, then it changes everything. I want to, the title of my message is Responding to Enduring Trials. Responding to Enduring Trials. Now, we all have trials that come in and out of our lives. It is part of life. If it's just, it's just it's just part of life but it's the enduring trials that tend to wear us down it's the trials that come into our lives that 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 tend to drag on and on and on and and it's those trials that 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 tend to wear us down to the point where we can get discouraged and and we can we can start to look at the trial instead of looking to God. And so often it's the enduring trials that we struggle with. So this morning I want to give you five things, five things that I believe will be a help and encouragement to you to respond properly to enduring trials. Number one, keep your eyes on Christ, not the trial. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Just as this COVID-19 virus, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, has caught us off guard, no trial that you go through will catch God off guard. It, it, it can catch us off guard, but it will never catch God off guard. Remember rule number one of Pastor Murray's, uh, I am here by God's appointment. 
I, I am here by God's appointment. What is it that God has for you to learn through COVID-19? I, have, I can be honest and say this, I have learned a lot. God has taught me much about myself through this pandemic. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, uh, excuse me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest <clears throat> unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I have a picture for you, Chris. Did you get that picture? There you go. Now, what is that? That is a, a yoke of oxen is what that is called. Now, one of the things, one of the misnomers that we often have is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he, when Jesus says, <clears throat> Come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We get a picture of us there and the Lord sitting in the cart whipping us and making us work. That is not at all the picture. My question to you is this. How many oxen are in the picture? You, you never see, at least I've never seen, a single ox pulling a cart. There's always two. So when he invites you to come and he will give us rest, what is he saying? He's not saying you come pull the cart while I sit in the cart. What he's saying is you come and I will pull with you. It is a joint venture. And way too often we think of it as a, I need to take on Jesus' yoke and I need to do the labor. And what he's saying is, no, you need to put the yoke on, but let me do the pulling. I will pull alongside with you. He's not, he's not saying, hey, look, your life will not have any more trials. He's not saying, look, if you come and, and take my yoke, your life will be easy from here on out. No, what, what he is saying is, if you will put on my yoke, you and I as a team can do it. We can pull together. We need to keep our eyes on him and not the trials. Because when we allow the trials to get a if we focus on the trials it affects our focus and and those of you from Grace Baptist Church know that our our theme this year is focusing having 2020 vision and if we focus on him then he will help us through the trials that we will face number 2 keep our prayer lives a priority Keep our prayer lives a priority. One of the things that <clears throat> I have enjoyed about 
uh, working in the secular world over the last several weeks, a couple of months now, is my particular job. I, I, I have, I, I'm on my feet all day, but for the most part, I'm by myself. And, and, and it's not difficult work. It's, it, uh, when I say difficult, I mean mentally. It's not, it's not mentally straining. It's sometimes physically straining, but mentally it allows me the opportunity. I can pray all day for the most part. And I have found myself praying and making my prayer life a priority of my life differently than I than before the pandemic. So when enduring trials come, we need to keep our prayer life a priority. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus, uh, excuse me, through Christ Jesus. See, when our prayer life is not what it ought to be, when we, when we, when prayer is not a priority in our lives, discouragement, depression, anxiety, and loneliness take place. And in a extended trial, a a, a when we don't always see the end of the trial, if prayer is not a huge part of our lives, we'll get depressed. We'll get discouraged. We'll allow anxiety to take over in our hearts. Loneliness will become a huge part. And and I'm telling you right now, through through all the quote-unquote lockdown that we've experienced, these four things are on the rise in our in our community in our nation in our world today the suicide rate is going through the roof the divorce rate is is a a national disgrace the health the health issues and all of the, the the well i shouldn't say health the mental health issues are going off the charts why because people, at least Christians, are not praying like they ought to pray. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, the peace of God through the Holy Spirit can take away anxiety and depression and all those things. The peace of God. Rule number two of Pastor Murray's uh, statement, I am here in his keeping. I'm here in his keeping. So, responding to enduring trials. Number one, keep your eyes on Christ, not to trial. Number two, uh, make your prayer life a priority. And then number three is probably the most difficult 
uh, of, of the responses, and, that, and this is number three, work hard at purposeful flexibility. That's a mouthful. But I didn't know how, I tried to simplify it. I didn't know how to simplify it. Work hard at purposeful flexibility. Now, having said that, every one of us has had our schedules turned upside down and inside out. We have had to be flexible. But there is a huge difference of being flexible and having purposeful flexibility. Jesus tells us to stay focused at the, on, at the task at hand. In John chapter 9, verse 4, it says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus reminds us that we need to stay focused at the task at hand. But at the same time, we need to be flexible. How does that work? It works by purposeful flexibility. And, and this is my definition. This is my definition of purposeful. Anyway. Purposeful flexibility. Being flexible, but never losing sight of the goal. Being flexible, but never losing sight of the goal. Now, when I was a Boy Scout <clears throat> growing up in, in L.A., uh, we did a lot of camping out in the desert. And one of the things that was drilled into us as Boy Scouts, because we spent a lot of time in the desert, is if you ever get lost, how do you find your way back when you're in the desert? Because there are very few landmarks, so to speak. And it's very easy to get lost in the desert. Uh, people have been known to starve to death and die of thirst walking in circles in the desert. So they taught us that we, we should find a point to focus on out in the distance. We would, you know, and a good boy scout always had his compass. So you set your compass, you need to go whichever direction, you find something to focus on, and is, is that, okay, that's not all they taught us. And see, oftentimes in our lives, what we think is, okay, I just need to keep looking forward. But that's not what they taught us. They said, now, once you determine that point out in the, out in the distance that you need to accomplish, you need to turn around and look backwards and find a, a reference point behind you. And you need to stay between those two reference points. Why is that? Be and, and this is the point. If you were to just walk forward, what do you think happens as you walk across a desert? Obstacles come in your, in your path, do they not? Bushes, hills, rocks, so on and so forth. And it is very, very possible that as you're walking to that point, you're not actually walking a straight line. You're actually walking a sideways line. Because that point is always in front of you. But you're going sideways because of the obstacles 
that, God, that, that, that have been put in your, in your way. But if you have a point of reference in the back, you can walk this way, hit an obstacle, go around it, and then recalibrate yourself to the obstacle behind you. And you can walk in a relatively straight line. My point is this. In the midst of trials, I said earlier that we need to keep our eyes on Christ, not the trial. But we also need a point of reference behind us to keep us walking a straight line. Because what's going to happen is there's, there's going to be obstacles along the way. And we can get out of, we can be walking and not walking a straight line. Purposeful flexibility. Now, what that does not mean is that we do not focus on the things of the past. We just use the things of the past in our lives as a reference point. All the time walking a straight line. Purposeful flexibility. Rule number three of Pastor Murray's statement is this. I am here under his training. What is God trying to teach me? Because as I walk through the desert and, and try and get to, to, to point A, there are all kind of obstacles along the way. And that is, almost, that is a great picture of the, of the human life, is it not? We are going to spend our lives dodging obstacles. And each obstacle has a lesson in it for us. You know, God doesn't... <clears throat> Uh, uh, God doesn't put change in our life just for the purpose of change. Uh, COVID-19 did not happen just because God wanted to shut down the United States or Europe or any kind. God has a purpose in everything and in every person's life. Now, my personal opinion is I think it's one of the ways God is showing himself strong in the lives of the unsaved. Paul, I believe Paul understood purposeful flexibility in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know both how to abase and how to abound in uh, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. See, Paul understood that his eyes were on the goal, but he had to be flexible. But he had to be flexible with purpose. Number four, Look to the needs of others. Look to the needs of others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, whom, who, comforted, who comforteth us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
we are commanded in the midst of trials to comfort others the way God comforts us. One of the biggest mistakes that we make as humans is that when the trials come, we focus on the trials, we get our eyes on the trial and not on Christ, and when we do that, we turn inward. And the trial then becomes all about us. And we forget about other people. And in reality, what should we be doing? We have the source of peace. We have the source of life. And when we turn inward, we fail to distribute that peace and love. We forget to, to do those things. And, and, and it's easy to forget about the people around us. During this pandemic, I have had people call me and text me and, and, and different things. Some saved, some unsaved. But they're asking questions to, of me that I, I've never been asked before. Why do you think that is? Because they're confused. They're, they're, they're hurting. Now, do I have the answers to all of the questions? A absolutely not. But it's amazing how simple a text, a card, an email, a call. It's amazing to me how, how just something simple like that can make all the difference in the world in someone's life. But see, we have to be thinking about others in order to be able to do that. When we're locked in on us, we miss the point of it all. We need to be proacting and reaching others. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus was putting others first when he said, in John chapter 4, verse 4, he said, and he need, must needs go to Samaria. I want you to ask yourself this question. Why did he need to go to Samaria? Well, the answer to that, if you're familiar with the passage, is very, very simple. There was, there was a woman that needed him. See, Jesus was all the time looking how to help others. In John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, it says, uh, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Uh, and I, let, let me stop right there I, and say this. The Samaritans were hated enemies of the Jews. But Jesus saw a need in a woman that was even an enemy, so to speak. But he, wanted, he felt the need to meet the need. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said a woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a 
a woman of Samaria. Not only was she a Samaritan, but she's a woman. Two very uncultural things that Jesus did. In today's uh, uh, language, we would say that was very politically incorrect of him to do or to say. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have uh, asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The need that that woman had was that she needed the, to drink of living water. And Jesus is, the, is that source that she needed. He was always looking to the needs of others. And number five, very quickly, let me close with this. Look to the future. Look to the future. Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary of well-doing, but in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. At the very beginning, I said I, that to the best of my calculations, uh, we have been 11 weeks apart. The nation of Israel spent 70 years in exile. 70 years without corporate worship. 70 years without coming together and singing praises to an almighty God. Point number four of Pastor Murray's uh, statement is, I am under his timeline. I'm under his timeline. You know what? The last time I checked, and I've done this, I've read this book from cover to cover. And the last time I checked, I could be wrong, but the last time I checked, he's still in control. The last time I checked, his timeline for my life is better than my timeline for my life. And next week, we plan on coming back together corporately as a church. And I am excited. I will, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next week. <laughs> but I can guarantee you this. I'm going to be praising God. Why? Not because of my timeline. My timeline, if you remember, was three weeks. We were gonna, we were gonna be with, outside the church for three weeks. Remember that at the very beginning. I, that was my prediction. I thought, oh, this is only gonna last about three weeks. I think I said that publicly. I don't remember, I, but I do know that I was thinking that. But you know what? God had different plans. And the truth is this: if God had said, no, it's going to be 70 years. You know what? He's still good. He's still good. His timeline is always right. 
My timeline is always wrong. We need to focus on the challenge ahead of us while keeping a reference point behind us. Using our past as a reference point. Always looking forward to the things of God. I've read the book from cover to cover. Not only is he in control, but he wins. He wins. If you don't believe me, read the book. He has won the victory already. It's just playing out in his timeline. Number one, keep your eyes on Christ, not the trial. Number two, make your prayer life a priority. Number three, work hard at purposeful flexibility. That's hard to say, by the way. Just say it. Look to the needs of others. Look to the future. And then I want, to, I want to close with this. Remember the four points of Pastor Murray's statement. Number one, I am here by God's appointment. Number two, I am in his keeping. Number three, I'm under his training. And then number four, I am under his timeline. If we will keep all of that in mind, as enduring trials take place in our lives. And I'm I'm just being honest. I am not a very patient person. This, This past several months has absolutely driven me crazy. Mainly because, mainly because, I've taken my eyes off of Christ and put it on the problem. We can't do that. We can't do that. What is God trying to teach you this morning? I know some of the things he's taught me. And to be perfectly honest, I am very, very very thankful and grateful for some of the things that he's taught me. Now, I'm going to be excited to get back together again next week. Looking forward to it. But what has God taught you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. You have have done so much in each of our lives. I am so thankful for all that you do and that all you're going to do in our lives. Lord, I just ask that you would guide and direct in a very special, very specific way in our lives. And Lord, that you would help us to be more like you. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the things that